This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A statement win at the San Zero takes Napoli within touching distance of top spot. Man City pull clear in the Premier League after Tottenham hold Liverpool. Real Madrid held, but Atleti's title defense might already be over. It's the weekend recap. Jimmy Conrad, Heath Pierce, they are here, and we'll have one thing to say to VR. VAR, why are you the way that you are, VAR? We hate you. Gago Lazo, <laughs> weekend recap begins right now. Welcome to Gigo Lasso. Welcome to our weekend recap. I can never do this without my American Wonder Bread slices. And Heath Pierce, live from the very own Dubai Foot Locker. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. It is great. You know, we were just talking before the show started, and you were nice and calm. And then you can just see the bows start to draw back for your intro, and then it just gets released <laughs> into a fireball of energy, and it, and it just hypes me up, man. So it's good to see you guys. It's good to see you, brother. I'm an actor, Heath Pierce, an yeah. actor. I just put it on. Hey, Jimmy Conrad, that jersey is fire, almost as good as your beautiful face. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. Shout out to Asbury Park FC. Uh, I bought one of their jerseys for Christmas. It came early, so I'm very excited about uh, what showed up on my doorstep yesterday. Also, though, I had a bet, everybody. I did some wagering, and I had Milan to come from behind to win or draw, and VAR took it away from me and gave it to Napoli instead. I'm super bitter right now, which is going to mean mean that I'm actually going to have a pretty uh, angry podcast. Just that's why that's why I brought it up in the intro. That's why I did that whole Michael Scott to oh Toby God. in the office. Well, I hate so many things you choose to be VAR so much. <laughs> but Heath, Jimmy, uh, I've missed you guys. Thank you so much, everybody, for being part of the family and for watching Jimmy and Heath as the USMNT played Bosnia as well. You can watch that recap and all the commentary as well on our YouTube channel. Over 6,000 subscribers, by the way. Kigo Lasso Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify now. So please make sure that you do that. Follow Jimmy Conrad on Twitter. Follow Heath Beers on Twitter. Follow LMA Chegaray as well and so much more. All right, let's discuss weekend action. And let's talk about exactly what Jimmy was saying. And we'll begin with you, Jimmy Conrad Milan against Napoli, the North against the South. This game was exclusively on Paramount Plus. Dre Cordero, Matteo Bonetti, Christian Vieri was there, Susana Collins, Mike Grella, Marco Messina, Aaron West, such a, a great show. Thank you so much for being part of the fam as well. Delivered great production pre and post, but Milan lose one nothing to Napoli. And obviously it began, as Jimmy was mentioning, with the hope of AC Milan coming back, making it maybe 1-0. And you thought that was going to happen after, of course, Elfie Elmas scored in the fifth minute with Frank Kessie, a 90th minute, late minute, last gasp equalizer. Disallowed, by the way. I don't even know why yet, Jimmy. Talk to me about this game. Unbelievable. But Napoli, most importantly, leapfrog two places to go right under Inter Milan. Yeah, I just want to state for the record that I wasn't surprised that Napoli took the lead. They've had the lead in a ton of games. They had the lead uh, against Atalanta, 
a couple weeks ago and they were up 2-1. They lost 3-2. They were up against Leicester, 2-0, went to 2-2. They found a way to get a win. Uh, against the Swallow, they were up 2-0 and, and, and Sassuolo came back and made it 2-2. So I'm not surprised they got off to a hot start. These guys have the energy. It's just about maintaining their leads. And they almost gave this one away. We can argue they should have given away their lead. But VAR, in particular, was wearing their Napoli jersey and decided that, oh, there's some technicality with the call. Just let the game breathe sometimes, you know? I don't understand it. And actually, I want to propose a rule, everybody, that you should have a former player, not necessarily the, what the two that are playing in the game, per yeah, se. You said this, I like it. But, yeah. but a former player in there, so at least they can consult with somebody. I want an, I want an, I just need another voice in there that they can have. It just pisses me off. Obviously, I had some money in the game, as I mentioned. That kind of pisses me <laughs> off. But, but, but it, it Milan did enough, I think, to, to get a draw on this. They had plenty of chances. Zlatan was, was uh, very close once or twice. He set up a couple different opportunities. Him and Giroud coming on together at the same time, or Giroud coming on as a sub, and then up top was pretty cool to see. But it wasn't enough. Fair play to Napoli for actually holding on to the lead for the first time in a while. But, uh, yeah, big loss for Milan, who had not really running into this winter break with any kind of good form. Yeah, what I'll say is that, obviously, Natalie Crossing still doesn't understand how that was uh, the VA, VAR call was called back. I want to know from everybody that's watching this what their thoughts are on AC Milan. I've been obviously a big fan of them. This is the first team that I owned a little track jacket when I was a kid. And I keep having this belief that they're going to come back and do this thing. And then they're just sputtering at the same time of year that they sputtered last year. Obviously, they're creating chances. As you said, Jimmy, Zlatan having a couple chances as well. But unfortunately, it's not enough in a match like this. And now I'm starting to wonder where AC Milan even fall into this. And looking at the Roma result, which I know we're going to get back into, starts to change the narrative of even the top four within the league. And now I'm worried about AC Milan's confidence going into the break. They've still got uh, one more. They've still got to play against Roma on the 6th of January. Obviously, they'll get a little bit of a gap between them. They have their last game of the year on the 22nd, and they'll play Roma to kick off the year in January. But that's a game that's coming hot and quick. And if you're Roma, you can't wait to, to, to get uh, Milan at, at less than their best. Yeah, Jimmy, this is a bitter pill to swallow because I want to do go back to Natalie's point that Heath brought up about what what ha I'm still confused by it. Obviously, if we just go through it a little bit, Frank Kessie, uh in the box waiting for that rebound. I believe it was Olivier Giroud who won the header, falls on the ground. Kessie takes the shot, but somehow in that moment, there's either an offside call, Giroud interrupting play, which really doesn't really make sense at all. And the, the VAR comes in and they give it. And I believe it's because of that Giroud interruption, which, by the way, he had every right to win that header. How he landed and where he landed, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, up to him because he's contending with another player. How, do you, how did you see it? Oh, I was ready to move on from this. Okay, fine. I'll get into it. So I feel like Giroud was maybe called. There's, there's two instances where I think they could have called a, maybe a, a foul on the initial header. Maybe he he was a little bit too aggressive going up for the initial header. But when you're right, to your point, Elamy, when he falls, then he's he's in a in a position where his, half of his body's in an offside position when the ball is kind of fall, you know floating around. The defender who falls with him gets a touch on the ball, and he's the one that pushes it out, and that that falls to Kessier, who ends up scoring. My my concern is that Drew is just laying there. He's not trying to do anything. Yeah, he's got so no he's, control of anything. No control. It's not like he's blocking the vision of the goalkeeper either. So he's not interfering with the line of sight. So it, it, it's really – it feels like they're getting very technical, very black and white here. And I know that, you know, the rules of the game, blah, blah, blah. Well, Harry Kane should have got a goddamn red card. He well, didn't, we're right? going to get there, Jimmy. Okay, we're fine. I'm just saying that there's some gray area in some of the interpretations. But in this one, they decided to go very technical. And I think that's what frustrates us with referees in, in general is that there's not this clear, concise, 
called the same way every single game. I think you could be able to accept it as a fan if you saw it being consistently called everywhere else. Hey, yeah. Luis, it sounds like that. That sounds like the the fan and Jimmy and not the annals. If Jimmy had bet, <laughs> if Jimmy had bet, if Jimmy bet the win for Napoli, I think he's like, well, you know, you like look, it's, it's circumstantial. You get falls down. I can't confirm that, or deny this rumor. No, oh, it, no, sounds, no, it sounds like this is coming from a very personal standpoint. At it the moment, does sound very Fair play, fair play, Heath Fears. Fair, fair play, but I do take his point because I did actually bring it out myself as well. They, out of many VR decisions, to me. This is up there in the top three most confusing because I don't know exactly whose fault it was. To Jimmy's point, Giroud fell on the floor. At that moment, you have no control. You're contending for a ball. You fall on the floor. You're not interrupting with play with the goalkeeper. And you take the goal away. It was very, very weird. In fact, the weekend in itself, and we're going to get into it, was weird. But regardless of all of that, everybody, Napoli takes a valuable three points. Massive three points, by the way. They didn't have Koulibaly, Osman, Fabian Ruiz, uh, Mario Rui. And, you know, they come away with three points at the Zero. That's massive. And now they're under Inter Milan in second place. By the way, some other results. As you mentioned, Heath Roma. I didn't see this one coming. 4-1 against Atalanta. At the Berg- at Bergamo, by the way. Tammy Abraham, Chris Smalling. Too much for Gasparini, Heath Pierce. This was quite a win for Roma. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I kind of talked about this as the end of the Roma, uh, the Roma era for Jose Mourinho. But if you looked at some of the, the quotes that he had heading into the match, a lot of it was like, hey, we're going to win. Look what they, you know, the project they've had has been three, four years in the making. This is just six months in. It, it was very pro his players and his team and the fight and the grit. And obviously the argument has been that Jose Mourinho can't win the big games. And this could be a turning point for them because they did lose uh, when looking at the results here. 3-2, they lost to Roma. 1-0, they, I mean, they lost to Lazio. They lost 1-0 to Juve. A 0-0 draw with Napoli. A, a 2-1 loss to, to Milan. A 3-0 battering to Inter Milan. And then you have, you have this result that this could be the one thing that get, brings them to life. And a team that, that was obviously willing to, to go at them. I think, I think obviously, if you, the, the match itself, there was plenty of opportunities for Atalanta to, to win the game. They, they controlled possession. They controlled the attack. But Roma were clinical when they had to be. And so... This is one where I start to wonder if Jose Mourinho's comments led to a result and that comes together until a week from now when he says how bad his team is and they all go falling apart again. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say that I was impressed with Roma because even though they jumped out to a 2-0 lead, they gave up a goal right before halftime. And to Heath's point, in previous iterations of this team, they probably would have fell, fallen apart, even under, mm-hmm. under Jose Mourinho, and that they would have given up that lead. So it was really cool to see them as a Roma supporter come through and, and kind of hold on to the lead and do it in real style. It wasn't like they were completely dropped back in, in Jose Mourinho-esque stereotypes of parking the bus, even though they only had 29% possession, so take that for what it is. But they made the most of their chances, and, and I thought they saw out the game, which they have trouble with seeing out the game. That's actually their first win over a top five team in Serie A in close to two years. Isn't that insane? Yeah, so, that, so that crazy. It's crazy, and it really and they have, to the, they, the have Mil- they have Milan and Juventus coming up in the, in the start of January. So if there's going to be any run of form from this, That's it's going right. to come now. Again, I, I don't know what your guys' take is on on like a 10, 12-day break between matches, but there's not much there, and then they kick off the year with literally in the same week playing AC Milan, and then they play Juventus just after that. So it could be a turning point 
but it could also just be a catastrophe from there. Well, as well, well I'm mean, not Milan, sold on it. Milan and Juve are kind of in the same spot, right? I mean, Milan's yeah. on the on the downward, and Juve's still trying to figure out who they are. So this could be a good time for Roma to catch them before they start to click, click, make their identity a little bit more clear cut. But uh, yeah, big win for Roma. I think that's that's something that we call what a springboard to success. Maybe they can build off some momentum. But given how they've been playing, we could see them lose again to Heath Point, and they're kind of. I feel like if they lose the next one, they go back to to square one again, and and they can't really ever get anything going in a real way yeah well you know it's a good day when uh, jose Mourinho posts a new snack photo on his instagram uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he also he also by sorry luis i know you're gonna explain this. he talked about how they only have 14 players and how how uh how the the uh atalanta had 24 like he was <laughs> he was literally pouring all the fuel on the fire to motivate his team and i just wonder at times if there's if there's enough of that fire for week in, week out to motivate your squad. Sorry. Sorry. To no, no, no. That is perfectly said. I was just going to say, Jose Mourinho is like your longtime, all-time Emmy-winning daytime uh, soap opera. So just yeah. so just when you think, man, I'm going to stop watching this. They're bringing a new character. And then you just, all right, what do you have, Jose Mourinho? But by the way, uh, the, uh, to Jimmy's point, massive win for Roma because obviously Atalanta are fourth, Roma remaining fifth. But now it's only a six-point differential and a lot – can still happen as uh, Des Norris puts up the table here on YouTube. If you can see it, it's it's tied at the top. Obviously, Inter Milan with a little bit of a cushion because they won, obviously, on Friday, 43 points. And then it's Napoli, Milan, Atalanta, Roma, Fiorentina, by the way, who we haven't mentioned yet. 2-0 against Asuolo. Dusan Vlahovic, boys, 33 goals in 2021 to match Ronaldo's record from 2020. He could surpass it on Tuesday against Verona, Jimmy Conrad. This is a special, special player. And he's making me rethink about my nomination pick for our uh, end of year show later on as well. What do you think about Dusan Vlaovic? Yeah, I think uh, he puts himself in good spots to score goals. He, and I, what I love about him too is his his drive. He runs with a lot of purpose. He's trying to get on the end of stuff. He's, he's working his ass off to get to the near post if something goes out wide or he's really drifting back. But I mean, there's always a lot of purpose. It's not just a hope. It's I'm going to get there, and if my teammates can feed me the ball, I'm also going to finish it. So he's been in real fine form, and I think he's taking sometimes making half chances into full chances. And now I'm kind of curious to see if he lasts the whole season with Fiorentina. They just offered him a new contract. He said he's not going to sign. It's the most money that Fiorentina's ever offered a player, and he, him and his agent have decided not to sign it. So that is interesting. They've got 18 months left on their deal. Fiorentina could get – a lot of money for him, obviously. And I'm thinking maybe in the 80 million range, apparently Pep Guardiola came out and said that he is like the perfect striker for his particular system. So that's interesting, interesting that City's coming in. Arsenal's been floating around, Tottenham as well. I heard and what I read, and you can take this for what it is, but that uh, him and his agent thought that Arsenal was a little bit of a lateral move and not a step up. So Arsenal fans, I don't know how you feel about that. Oh, Heath, man, I'm looking that, at you. That, hurt, Tot- that hurts a little bit, but I, I don't disagree. <laughs> Tottenham, <laughs> Tottenham can't, he's got to feel the same way about Tottenham in some capacity. Well, Jimmy, he's linked to Newcastle. Like, what do you think that is? What's a, no, what's no, a that's, Newcastle, like, that's like Jimmy? five steps down. I mean, he, he, the only reason he'd go there is because they could pay you, you know, 500K a week. Ouch. And you'd ha- and that would be something, but uh, I don't think they have any chance at Vlahovic. Tottenham would be interesting because I think the only outside chance that he could go there is that he'd have to have like a massive amounts of respect for Antonio Conte, which he might. Yeah. So that would be interesting. But I don't know if Man City comes calling and they're willing to pay that that wage and and that transfer fee. How could you say no to a team that is you know contending for trophies in every competition? Yeah, yeah. I, I, the last thing I would say on him is I was doing a little bit of research on just him in general. I'm like, where does this guy come from? What's he, what's he about? What's he say in the press? 
And a lot of the stuff is like he was mentored by Frank Ribéry when he was at the club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He listened like he, he saw he, – he watched Frank Ribéry when he was showing up two hours early. So he's like, how can I not do the same thing? Mm-hmm. He's he, – you know, he watches Zlatan is sort of his big idol and, and mirrors his game off that. But it admits he's got a, a miles and miles to go to ever be at that level, which I think it just shows the humility of him. When you see young stars like this, they usually have a little bit more of that – chip on the not chip on the shoulder but a little more ego to him and he's just much more humble at least in his approach to the media for his age there's not a lot of ego in, in what he's saying which i think is is a rare sign of of, of a maturity for a player of his age mm-hmm. and you can see mm-hmm. why you know one he's holding off on a new deal and i think the club is a little bit bitter about that because they want to probably be able to secure or at least at least lock in that transfer fee because if they don't get it in the winter that fee's going to drop uh come summertime by you know maybe 20 million which is still an, a r- ridiculous sum but I, I don't see how the club has any plans to keep him. It's more of just like, hey, if we sign him to a new deal, we can lift the price of him so they can sell him in six months from now. Yeah, he uh, turns 22 in January. He gives me a little bit of uh, Patrick Bateman, American Psycho vibes as well. <laughs> so please, somebody sign him because he scares the hell out of me. But if, uh, please make sure that you like, subscribe, and tell us, where do you think Dusan Vlaovic would best fit? Would it be uh, in the Premier League? We presume maybe not, maybe La Liga, maybe somewhere else. I feel like Arsenal right now are more like a Stifler in American Pie, <laughs> asking that girl to go to the prom, and then the girl's actually waiting for Finch because of that trick. That, that's exactly what's going on right now. But where do you think Vlaovic would best fit? I like the idea of Man City, but I think I would be. I think it would be awesome. If he was just like, you know what? Screw all of you. I'm going to Palace. And he just goes to like a team that nobody expected. That's not going to happen. He's very, very good. Stay tuned with more info on that. Any final Serie A thoughts, boys, Jimmy? No, I don't have any. (laughs) I uh, was kind of already starting to look ahead to what else we're talking about. But I do actually, I did. I remember what I wanted to say. Inter Milan, very professional performance Mm. uh, against Salernitana. Juventus away from home, getting a big 2-0 result. Uh, Weston McKinney back in the team, getting uh, over Bologna, which I thought was impressive. And then Lazio doing the same at home against Genoa. You just saw some really good professional performances by some of these clubs that were actually struggling getting results against teams that they should beat. So, so fair play outside of Inter. So fair play to those, uh, those teams. HP? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was talking about uh, Roma and the stereotypes of Serie A and how it's boring and it's defensive, uh, as you know, the uh, Elmas goal was scored in the fifth minute uh, for Napoli. And it was only the fourth quickest goal of the weekend, which is insane. The fifth yeah, minute, the Kingo scored in the fourth minute. Tammy Abraham scored in the in the first minute, and then Gabby Gabbiadini scored 36 seconds in to uh, <laughs> the match against against Venezia, which is wild, by the way. I mean, that's what you expect from a Venezia match. You expect a team like that to give up goals in the beginning. You don't expect uh, uh, an AC Milan team to give up that kind of goal that early in the game with that kind of experience that they have. Well said, my friend. And if you have any more Serie A thoughts, please make sure that you throw them in the comment section. And if we like it, we might even uh, ask it ourselves over here at Que Golazo on YouTube. And we will definitely show it on the screen. We'll do that for you, no doubt. All right, let's move on. Let's go from Italy to España. And let's talk about La Liga. And we're going to do a little fun thing here, boys. We'll do winners and losers. Uh, Oh, here we go, Larry. Uh, Well done on coming in on the 25th hour. This guy at Fiorentina is already at Slatan level. Has Slatan ever scored 30 goals in a Serie A calendar year? Calm down, Larry. Calm down. (laughs) Just calm down a little bit. I I agree with you, but let's remember something. Serie A right now, I think, allows you to maybe be that aggressive when you're that good of a striker. Slatan Ibrahimovic has done it his entire 
career. Let's, uh, you know, let's calm down. Heath, I know you wanted to throw something else in there too. Yeah, uh, Zlatan, I has, there. Zlatan has 570 goals. Okay? <laughs> so let's re I, I fully agree in a single year, you know, that's how you make stats. That's how you make records. He's about to go after Ronaldo on this. The league is different than it's ever been. It's more exciting, more goals, blah, 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 blah. But score 570 goals, <laughs> score when you're 39-40. And, I, you know, again, we, we're going to talk about in La Liga where we have a hat trick from a 38-year-old. So who's Latan who? But I, I do think that you've got to put a little respect on this guy's name because Latan would have won World Player of the Year a couple of times if he wasn't living during the same exact era as Ronaldo and Messi. Yeah, exactly. yeah, but we appreciate your comment, Larry Vlahovic. All right, let's go to Spain. <laughs> let's go to La Liga. Let's, uh, we're going to do a fun thing here. Winners and losers in La Liga. So we'll give you some uh, score results and everything, and we'll, you know, we'll go through each kind of fixture, each kind of game, and just discuss it from a winners and losers point of view. Well, let's go winners slash losers in this first one. Sevilla winning 2-1 against Atleti, by the way. And this is the December of discontent. For Cholo Simeone. This is the first time Simeone has lost three league matches in a row. Not a good Christmas. Uh, there was a great tweet from the Spanish football podcast saying Atleti, after 17 games last season, 14 wins, two draws, one loss, 44 points. Atleti, after 17 games this season, eight wins, five draws, four losses, 29 points. We talked about Roma, your team, Jimmy Conrad, your other team, Jimmy Conrad, Atleti, not doing so well. Is this over for them? Uh, forget Jimmy's about it. He's got a lot of teams, by I the way. I do. Jimmy, you know what? I like being friends with the everybody. Other, other okay? team. You know? Okay, listen. Just listen, be happy with Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah. And everybody, he fierce decided to be the Jeez captain of the No Louise. Fun Police. Okay, yeah. so No Fun Police uh, captain I'm, over there. I'm grumpy I'm over down. here, man. It's two o'clock in the morning, dude. I'm trying to. It's like you yeah. know, the the kids are waking up around me. I'm getting grumpy around here. That is true. Let, let the man scream. It's two a.m. over. That's there. fair. That's uh -huh. fair. But yes, Atleti obviously losing three games under Simeone. Not a good look defensively. Just not the same. I mean, I think it really comes to that side of the ball. Yeah. We could argue he's got his most talented team, so I think expectations are very high. When you look at Luis Suarez in particular, he has not scored in seven straight games. That's his longest scoring drought since 2014. And he was really the talisman last season, right? He came over from Barcelona, had something to prove, had a chip on his shoulder that he was trying to gnaw off, arr, 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 you know? And and it's just not the same. I know, that's, again, a, that's a really low-hanging low fruit, Joe. <laughs> Jimmy, do that again. Joao Felix, you know, still maybe hasn't reached his potential. I don't know if Atleti was ever the best fit for him system-wise to really uh, get after it and showcase his talent. So I think there's just a lot of discontent. I think that was a really good way to explain Atleti. Now, I want to focus on Sevilla, though. Lucas Ocampo scored late, 87th minute. Big mm. win to get all three points there. And with... With uh, Real Madrid drawing with Cadiz 0-0, that means they've gained two points on the league leaders. They're only six points behind Madrid in second Sevilla, and they have a game in hand. So I said it. Did I not say it at the beginning of the season? Sevilla can, t can challenge here. Uh, what do you think? Going back to that question. No, I think they can, but I wonder if they can ha they have the depth to compete and also mm -hmm. now the Europa League because they fell into the Europa League and Sevilla's well that too Sevilla's home turn uh home field home stadium is where the final is going to be for the Europa League mm -hmm. and there's obviously going to be some expectation and some desire to want to be there to, to be in part of that game so to balance all of that I think is going to be tricky I think for Sevilla and I, it's it's clear that Madrid have a little bit more depth they spend more money so they have more depth but yeah uh, Jules Koundé by the way what a player huh he is he is and he's supposed to go to Spurs and didn't end up happening right so so 
or Chelsea, excuse me. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think they'll be able to hold on to him this this year, but we'll they see if he moves in the summer. Yeah, if they want to answer but, all these questions. They got to. They got to hold on to. Him. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Sevilla. They've got the parts. They just got to keep everybody healthy. If they get if they can do everybody healthy, then I think they've got a, a, a shot to keep uh, Madrid uh, under pressure. I don't think Atleti's going to do it, and I don't think Barcelona are going to be the two teams that are uh, really on the heels of Madrid this season. I fully agree. And I think what I like about Sevilla is just the balance that they have within the squad, right? Usually when we see a Sevilla, you talk about – we. They, unfortunately, we talk about them in the same vein as we do a Sociedad, uh, but in previous years, not in, in the current context of things. And they, they fall off. Like Jimmy said, they're managing all these things. They fall off into a Champions League position, and they have a successful season, quote-unquote. But they're not challenging – for a title until the end of the year. But now they have Thomas Delaney, who gives them more balance. He's more mm-hmm, of that mm-hmm, fighting mm-hmm. workhorse, which means that they're willing to play scrappy and dirty. If you see some of the stuff that he does on the field, obviously uh, we saw him in the, in the Euros, Danish international. Um, and then Ivan, Ivan Rakitic, by the way, did you guys see the goal that he scored? An absolute Woo! yeah, what a banger. banger. I, I, I watched it like seven or eight times from different angles, and I just tried to be like, oh, goalkeeper's fault, goalkeeper's fault. And then every angle you just realize – that he hit it on such a laser that there was no chance at any point, and the release was so quick that the goalkeeper was going to... What a winner, uh, by the way, even Rakitic. Leaves Barcelona, goes to Sevilla. He's much happier nowadays, huh? And by the way, Dan mentioned something about, you know, it's okay to like one team and another. (laughs) Listen, of course it is. Of course it is. But to me... Thanks, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, Dan. Dan I'm with you. You can like whoever you want. Who am I to tell anybody's... Fan, but you know, to me, it's like, yeah, I like this club and I like them, but Aston Villa is my blood. You know what I mean? Like, so USM, USMNT's Jimmy's blood is it, it's heat's blood. You know, sometimes there's one particular club or team that goes beyond anything because it's within you. But you can like more than one team. Absolutely, I'm not here to tell you mm-hmm. otherwise. Uh, absolutely, stop judging me, Elamy. <laughs> <laughs> I would never judge you, Jimmy. I like a lot of teams, especially <laughs> the ones that are winning. all right let's uh let's stay in la liga by the way winners and losers the winner was sevilla the loser with atletico madrid jimmy mentioned uh cadiz and we didn't see this one uh coming jimmy uh holding real madrid we'll begin with jimmy and then heath your points but uh it was eden hazard's first start in 14 matches no goals surprise surprise but real madrid didn't get a win does that affect them a lot i uh, you know they still have a pretty good cushion up um up in the top of la liga no, I think anytime you start to worry about any team is if they were generating a lot of chances and then that started to dry up and they weren't getting opportunities, that's when you start to like, hmm, maybe we need to think about how we're attacking or other teams are starting to figure us out. These guys had 36 shots and nine of them were on goal and Cadiz didn't have any shots on goal. They had four total shots and none of them were on goal. If I'm Carlo Ancelotti, I'm okay with this. Luka Modric didn't play. He sat in this one. Fede Valverde started. Um, you know, they had they had Hazard, as you mentioned, start. He got all 90 minutes, which I think is super important. You have, uh, you know, Benzema continuing to show that he's healthy. He played all 90 minutes. Vinicius. So they didn't get that one moment of, of genius or magic that they had been getting in previous games. But uh, I'm not worried. When they're generating that amount of opportunities and you're not giving up that many on the other side, more often than not, that's going to lend itself, if you're consistent with that, uh, to a successful season. Yeah, I, I mean, I would just jump this over to my loser, uh, uh, another loser being Real Batiste. And Real mm-hmm, Batiste mm-hmm, lose mm-hmm. to Athletic, and Athletic now have to play Real Madrid uh, before the end of the year. And so they, that if goal they take that by Nacky Williams there, yeah. uh, he, woo, talk about a banger. Keep going, my friend. Yeah, phenomenal. And and uh, again, if, if, if 
Atletic can take that to Real Madrid, you can start to see maybe a little bit tighter of a league by the end of the year, considering mm-hmm. they had that form winning, scoring in the 89th minute to beat Real Batiste, who I think are the loser because of the form that they've been in. Giving up that last minute or 89th minute goal, I think, is a huge, huge drop off for them. And then ultimately could be having a, a knock on effect to Real Madrid if they don't bounce back from this, giving a little bit of form or a little belief to this Athletic Club side. Yeah, uh, Barcelona do win 3-2 against Elche. We saw Nico, <laughs> Nico and Gabi doing some beautiful things there, Jimmy Conrad. I mean, that's the future. I guess, uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, Alan Feely on Twitter. You know, sometimes these are decisions not just based on philosophy, but also economical ones, right? They're relying a lot on the young players, but some beautiful stuff, especially from Gabi in this game. But Barcelona get that win, Jimmy. Yeah, they do. And the relying on players, uh, Nico Gonzalez scored the winner in the 85th minute. He's 20 years old. Gabby's, he scored the second one, 17. Uh, Ferran Jukla, he is, he's 22. And we had a big conversation about the U.S. men's national team and their friendly against Bosnia when we were playing older guys. And all I said, I got it written on the side behind me, play the kids. Mm. And, and I love the Javi and Barcelona in particular are just playing the kids. And yes, are they going to make mistakes? Yes. We're also going to see some glimmers of their promise. And I think if you play them enough and give them a run where you can trust them to make mistakes, and they know that if they make a mistake, doesn't mean they're going to sit for a month, that they can go out there and, and be free to play, then you're going to get to see the, their, their, their potential in a way that, that maybe they can help you in a more immediate fashion, that you don't have to wait three years for them to play you know, and, and for the Barcelona's B team to to really earn that opportunity. So fair play to Xavi. Obviously, some of his hand has been forced due to their situation, both financial and injury-wise. But I love that he's like, you know what? Go out there and be yourselves. We're going to figure it out. And the kids saved him, just like the kids saved the U.S. men's national team the other <laughs> night. Sometimes you just got to play your kids. Yeah, yeah I fully agree. And uh, I think it was James Benz that had, had come back when we were arguing, saying, why would Xavi ever take this job? This is a terrible idea. This is You should never do that. And blah, blah, blah. And he was saying, this is the perfect time for him because it actually, you know, like you said, the, the modern game now means everybody has to win all the time, right? The big clubs. And they lost a little bit of that identity. And now the hand is being forced to them in terms of having to play young players. And they're starting to be able to take, when you play those young players, you're able to go in back to the board and say, look at all these wages we can shed by the players we do have, right? We can get rid of all these. We can still build on this. It's now a project. And now you can start to get rid of the Serginho Dest if you don't want him and move him on and get some money for him as well as some other players that I think are worth are, are more valuable than Bailey being, being one if they want to. But when I, look, when I watched this game, I, I, I watched this with uh, my, my father-in-law who, who you know, the, was like, oh, don't worry, Barcelona will do really well, and then they'll just have to fight it out to, at the end. And I was like, who's this guy saying this stuff? And then, of course, they got to fight it out at the end. Uh, <laughs> and they did play really well. Like, the style of football, the, the creativity, the confidence that they have, the tiki-taki that was back, it was just a really impressive performance in terms of an identity of the team that comfort on the ball moving the ball with purpose having that uh emphasis in the attack to take players one-on-one I just thought was a really uh, bright sign of the future again that inconsistency as Jimmy mentioned is going to be there with them playing young players but hey they're going to make mistakes but at least they're trying to build something and move forward and it's not just hey we're a bunch of technical players let's see what happens yeah, we're going to keep it brief here with La Liga, but some other things to mention, by the way. Uh, Rayo Vallecano, 2 nothing against Alaves. Uh, Rayo are fourth right now and boasts the best home record in La Liga. That's nine games, so uh, eight wins and one draw. And uh, an honorable mention to Jorge Molina, by the way, who at 39 years old became the oldest player to score a hat-trick in the top five European leagues ever. Yes, as old men right here, we all salute you. Uh, Molina as well, and Villarreal as well, finally back in the top half of the table. Final thoughts on La Liga, boys. Heath, I'll go back to you. 
Oh, I mean, not not really. I mean, just um, I was I was actually shocked and pleasantly surprised at Sevilla's performance. I think it brings a little bit of excitement back to the Real Madrid title race, and then and then again to to, to further the point on Barcelona, I was really impressed uh, in terms of what looked like the starts of a foundation or identity, and it's built around the young players. Which you know, I'm on this young player train. I don't know if I'll ever get off it, so I'm I'll support that uh, and give up give up some losses along the way to just see that type of player development. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in and say that uh, a little disappointed with La Real, Real Sociedad losing at home to Villarreal 3-1. Alexander Isak scored a great goal to go up 1-0. Villarreal mm-hmm. pegged it back, got it back. There was a red card. It was 1-1. Mikel Yarsabal did a very similar tackle to, uh, yeah, one Harry Kane and got a red card. Imagine that, right? Well, Imagine that. that. Sounds like, it sounds like Jimmy bet on that game, too. Jimmy, I did, did you not play bet that on game? that game. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I'm not looking for some consistency. Okay. In the referee across the world, Jesus, yes, man. Well, listen, they're all following the same goddamn rules, or at least I thought they were. So, or Yarsabal gets a red card, and then Villarreal, you know, ends up making the plays. Jordan Moreno sets up a nice goal to Chukwesi and scores another. He scores two goals on set pieces. So, you know, good win for Villarreal, getting back into the top half of the table and maybe getting some momentum going into the the next half of the season. But uh, they got some talented players, especially when Jordan Moreno's on fire. They do indeed. Uh, how many goals has Oyarzabal scored for England, though, says Des Norris, by the way. Wow. Well done, Des. I know, I know, I know. We're going to get there, everybody. We're going to take a break. When we come back, yes, my friends, the Premier League and Tottenham against Liverpool, Wolves, Chelsea, and so much more. So don't go away. If you're watching this on YouTube, it means we're coming right back. If you're listening to this, it's a little break, and we will be back. Weekend recap. Diego Lasso, Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad. We'll be right back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody. Told you we'd be back, and we are back. Welcome back to Kegolasso Weekend Recap. Jimmy Conrad from San Francisco. Heath Pierce from Dubai. Eleme Chegaray right here from New York City. I mean, if you... Wow. Listen, I, wow. I think we're the most international soccer We show. have to be. Yeah. When you say it like that, moment, yeah. it's, it's incredible, right? Amazing. And guess what? We don't get paid nowhere near as much as the international stars out there, but we'll, maybe we do. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Premier League. Tottenham against Liverpool. You can't deny it was a good game. It was amazing. 2-0. Lots of, lots of things going on. Of course, Harry Kane scored. Amazing. It was actually his first goal at Tottenham Stadium since May. Unbelievable. Tottenham looked good, fresh with an identity, but Liverpool kept crawling back. But that wasn't really just the story. It was about, as Jimmy uh, has said <laughs> already, how... Harry Kane avoids a red card at some point. 
you know, on his uh, attack on uh, Roberts. Was it Robertson? Yes, yeah, Robertson. Yeah, it was on Robertson. And if you don't know this, I mean, please go back and look at the images. But he gets away with one, you know, and then Annie Robertson himself gets sent off, which, of course, it can be debatable, but nowhere near as bad as what Harry Kane did as well. There was also like a push, a questionable push on Deli Alley as he was trying to get into the goal as well. Uh, you know, some can also discuss about the continuation of play leading to the goal of uh, Diogo Jota when Mohamed Salah handballed it as well. There was a lot going on, everybody. Heath, let's begin with you. What a game, this one. Uh, tell me tell me your thoughts on this one. It was a phenomenal game, and it had all the makings of disaster for both teams. Obviously, <laughs> you look at Spurs, they had so many chances to score Clear-cut goals. Son who, had by the way, Spurs, who haven't scored in a lot, who haven't played in a long time. Go ahead, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Deli Ali had uh, huge, huge opportunities. Son had three chances. Harry Kane had three clear-cut chances that a Harry Kane normally finishes, and then he had maybe two more that Harry Kane in top form finishes. And then you go on the flip side and you look at Liverpool, and they look like Liverpool defensively of last year, playing this high line that was just completely exposed all the time to give up opportunities behind them. Ones that again that Spurs did. Uh, capitalize on but also didn't uh, with other opportunities that they had but it was a really exciting game in terms of the quality in terms of goal scoring opportunities also Jota had an opportunity for a penalty call uh, on the other end so there was just a lot of controversy there was the Harry Kane tackle there was just everything about that was a really fun and exciting game especially during a week where everything's kind of been a bit sad and a bit dull and a bit you know with COVID and everything like that not knowing who was going to play it certainly turned up to be an interesting game at least in my book yeah I would just uh follow up on what Heath is saying and concur with the sentiments by saying that was probably my most enjoyable experience watching the Premier League this season. I thought it was a great game. It had all the elements, all the intrigue, all the drama, all the controversy, and it really ticked every single box that you want. It was super exciting. It was end-to-end. -end. Both teams were getting a ton of chances. Nobody really sat back and was trying to absorb the whole time without taking any risk going forward. And my one concern from a Liverpool perspective is that the counterattacking from... Spurs was so good. And yes, we're going to talk about Harry Kane and we're going to talk about Hingman's son, rightfully. But I thought Deli Ali, in a lot of different moments, besides his finishing touch, did very well in terms of pushing forward and driving the game and not allowing Liverpool to just key on one player like a Hingman's son or a Harry Kane. And I thought that made a big difference. And then you had Dembele, who's a little bit more of an attacking player, sitting a little bit deeper. And there was so many good counterattacking opportunities from Spurs. I thought, okay... It happens, and in the first half, or at halftime, you, you as Jurgen Klopp should be able to address it. They didn't address shit, man. They just kept. I was like, "What is even happening?" Hey, this right is now? what he gets for this is what he gets for saying we should just keep on playing, keep on playing. You know, I, I no, and I love that. There's a part of me that that loves that, but there's also a part of me going, "I thought there was going to be some adjustments at halftime from both teams, frankly, because there's no way it's going to look the same as it did in the first half." And it was like a carbon copy. I was like, "All right, I'm here for this. I love the entertainment value." Well, what the hell are they doing out there? There's, yeah. there's, no, there's no adjustments. So from a neutral, I, I mean, I thought it was a great game to watch and super fun. But if I was a supporter of either team, and I'm pretty sure you're probably surprised that I'm not because I support every team. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought that obviously the red card for Harry Kane or it, I can understand why they gave it a yellow is pretty early. But then when they give the red to Andy Robertson later. That just made the contrast of them not giving the red to Harry Kane. I mean, let's a do a bit game here, right? I mean, okay, let's do it. Okay, okay, both of you. All right, so I'll start with you, Jimmy. He that that was a red card for Harry Kane, right? Forget about the timing of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Harry Kane. All right. Yeah. 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 How about card. Andy Robertson? Was that a red card? The swipe. 
you know what? There looked like there was some intent there. Where he came, he looked emotional when he, he he came in. I could see why they gave it, but because Harry Kane got it, yeah, I guess if you try to get it out of context, it, a red felt harsh, but but uh, yellow for sure, one thousand percent a yellow, but yeah. a red, I don't know. It's tough, you, uh, Heath. Well, certainly not if without the Harry Kane. With the Harry Kane, I can see that, that I, 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 I can give a red out of consistency, but it certainly mm-hmm. seems inconsistent at that point. Yeah, uh, Diogo Jota scoring. There was a handball. Of, we know the rule, obviously, because Diogo Jota himself didn't handball it. That's fine, but uh, something needs to be checked there then. Something needs to be rectified because that handball is in contribution to what happened seconds after that. It was a handball in the box. Like, so what I'll say is that, Last year, Eric Dyer, if you remember, somebody he was up for a corner kick and somebody headed the ball into his hand. And he's not even looking. His eyes are closed. The ball gets headed into his hand, which is down by his waist, and they call a penalty on him. And now, the, now rightfully, the rules have changed, and so the interpretation's different, but it's the same thing that happened with Mo Salah. And Eric Dyer's like, what the hell, man? Because it obviously worked against him, and, and I'm sure he likes the rule change, but but still, in this particular instance. So it... it I'm glad that the rules changed, but still, it felt kind of harsh. And then to jump really quick to the to Jota penalty, that was for sure a clear pen. I and mean, he got pushed in the back, for sure. Yeah. Well, when you look at, at, at the flip side, right, of um, who was it that, that had an argument for a penalty on the other end? Deli Ali? Uh, yeah, Deli Ali one. Deli, yeah, like, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a, there's of, a little of contact stuff. there. Well, there's more on the Jota side. I mean, that's a clear extension of the arm, but it... it I don't know. It's, but this it's, is uh, why I go back. <laughs> I think there. I think it's just like how do you? You got to set the line somewhere. Well, I just want to make. I mean, I want to make one thing clear. I to be my my thing is it could be different. People have different opinions. My qualm is the fact that officiating is hard enough. It's mm-hmm. tough, mm-hmm. and VAR is meant to do one priority: help the officiating, and that's not what it's doing right now because a they're not asking the ref to look at everything. When I think, and sometimes they are, I know that the protocol right now is to reduce that, to reduce VAR intervening. But isn't that the whole point of VAR, especially in key decision making? Okay, it takes a little bit longer to to deal with it, but at least you have a concrete answer. That to me is my main thing. And I go back to my idea, man. Each ref should have a challenge flag. Just, just, just straight up. Like I'm telling you. Like if, for example, Jurgen Klopp thinks that was a red on Harry Kane, throw the challenge flag. Said ref, have a look at this on this monitor. I think it's a red, and maybe he gives it. I don't, I don't know. I just think it, it's a bit. Jacob, uh, Jacob, you say so much opportunity to make a play on defense after mm-hmm. that handball happened. No intent from Salah. No, absolutely fair play. That's fair. That's fair. Fair play. I just think that it's a little harsh. I think the, the intent and and the rule itself, not on the decision that happened. Uh, Elias, hey, how are you, buddy? Uh, Liverpool can't perform like this against Chelsea on the second of January. They will get punished. I don't well, know. You I seen don't know. Chelsea? Chelsea? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Jimmy. Say your point. No, I just this Chelsea team. I think one win in their last six. You know, not looking great and sputtering in some ways. So I guess we can segue into their game against Wolves. You know, a couple of good saves from Mendy. Pulisic did have uh, a couple opportunities where he could have done maybe a little bit better. But this wasn't the Chelsea I was expecting at this point in the season, where they look like they're just hoping they get a break at some point so they can relax. I wonder, and I had this conversation with a friend about Thomas Tuchel. Does he wear out his welcome as a manager where all of a sudden you just get kind of tired of what he has to say? Are we already at that point with Thomas Tuchel? I, I don't maybe. think so. I don't know. Maybe he's only, he hasn't even been there a full year if we're looking at it. But but you can tell that he probably rides these guys pretty hard to play a certain style. And, and there's something to miss. And I can't really put my finger on it other than complacency. Lukaku. 
And go oh, like, I thought you were, <laughs> oh, were going to say, I thought we were going to say that at the same time. Like, that's what I was going to say. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say N'Golo Kante, he was forced to play in today and he's, he hasn't been a hundred percent fit and he was forced to play because of the, of the issues. So there, there's one issue there. I mean, Heath, do you have any uh, specific worries over Chelsea? Yeah, I think it's just sort of when it rains, it pours with Chelsea right now. You know, you take into to the account the un- potential unfairness of, of Chelsea's situation right now. But, you know, it's also been unfair that they've been allowed to spend $500 million a year for the last 20 years. Uh, and they have the deepest squad in the Premier League, uh, bar one or two teams. And so I think, you know, when you look at a game like this, you go, oh, where's Lukaku? Where's Havertz? Where's, where is um, um, Timo Werner? And then you go... Well, you have Christian Pulisic and you have Mason Mount and you have plenty of quality. You should be able to get a result. On the flip side, this Wolves side is only second, I think, in the league in terms of goals against. So, like, they're they're a good, strong defensive team. They also are, like, towards the bottom of the league in terms of their ability to score goals. I think they're minus one goal difference, if I I remember it correctly. 14 goals against, 13 goals for, which means that you know that you can keep them at bay on some level. They're probably not going to score against you, but they're certainly not going to give you much, which is... Exactly how Chelsea should be playing right now, but Chelsea are, are, are a different squad and a little bit of a funk. Yeah, let's finish off in the Premier League and let's talk about two games very quickly. And obviously, Jimmy, yes, I know we're going to go to you. Uh, Manchester <laughs> City destroying Newcastle. I mean, talk to me about this game and then we'll finish with also another team I think is in serious danger right now, and that's Leeds uh, losing big time to Arsenal as well. Talk to me about these two. All right, I'll, I'll let Heath have the Arsenal game. Oh, I'll talk you. about Newcastle, Man City very quickly. You give up an error. There's a mistake there, miscommunication between the center back and the goalkeeper for Newcastle. Ruben Diaz is like, thank you very much, and heads it in. It's kind of embarrassing, uh, Heath and LME, that that if you're going to have a chance of beating one of the top clubs in any league, you can't make mistakes like that because you're going to get absolutely punished. And then the defending from that point on, I mean, fair play, Joao Cancelo hit an absolute screamer to make it 2-0. But then when you go down 2-0, no matter where you're playing Man City, it's going to be a real struggle because then you have to expose yourself. You have to stretch yourself a little bit thin if you want to go forward and try to get back in the game, and that's where Man City is going to absolutely punish you. So fair play to Man City. I think that's their eighth straight win. They're complete cruise control. I think given how everybody's playing at the current moment, given how they have really limited their injury issues. Oh, Cancelo, man. They li- oh, yeah, they look like they look like favorites, and Cancelo obviously ha- has been lights out in particular. So... I like this Man City team a lot. I wasn't surprised that Newcastle lost. It's just like you can't give gimme goals to a team like Man City because you're going to get absolutely punished. Yeah, the only thing I'd say on Man City, uh, because I think you focused enough on Newcastle for the day, Jimmy, uh, is is that uh, they've they've only given up more than one goal uh, defensively in like three games the entire season. Two of those are in the Champions mm-hmm, League mm-hmm. where they won 6-3 against, uh, PS- Leipzig. Uh, against Leipzig. Leipzig and then mm-hmm. and then lost 2-0 to PSG. And then the 2-2 draw with Liverpool – within the league. So they, they are giving up nothing defensively, which is, again, not how you always think about City. You can – the thing – what I like about City is you could literally spend a day talking about their system on different thirds of the field or different quadrants of how they attack. Or you could say it's all about the attack, and you could say it's all about their midfield and possession. You could say it's all about their defensive play, and that's one of the things that make them good. When I look at City and their ability to now make a run to the end of the year, they've got two windows against big teams that I think are going to be difficult. They have Leicester, Arsenal, and Chelsea over the next month. Mm-hmm. And then they have uh, Sporting Spurs, Everton, United, and Sporting in mid-February. And those are the two deciding factors that they can get out of because they certainly have the depth right now or at least the ability to rotate their squad to get these types of results. Phil Foden, phenomenal player, uh, and is really coming into his own in a way that I expected Zhao Felix uh, to come into his own uh, in, a, in a season like this. When you start to see the young players 
add a year to their age, you expect them to get a little bit better. So I don't want to focus too much on Man City because it was an expected result. But I just wanted to point that out, that they've got a pretty clear path forward right now. And the form that they're in, they've got to get through two semi-difficult windows against teams that I think they're capable of getting points against. And they, they have a clear picture uh, of success to, to, to get to a title. All right, so we know well how Arsenal are doing, but just real quick from both of you, Leeds United, Bielsa, I'm a, I mean, obviously the injuries have hurt them, right? But there is a, a narrative with Bielsa's teams and uh, the sophomore slump, just because the way that they play, and I think it becomes even more evident with COVID, etc., they're very vulnerable these days. And I'm just wondering, obviously Norwich, Burnley, Newcastle, like there's still teams, Southampton, there's still teams that are really going to struggle, but... You know, do you see them going down, Jimmy? Uh, I hope not, because I want Marcelo Bielsa to, to stay up. I think when I look about at this game and look how both teams performed, Arsenal was out there creating their own luck, right? They, they, were, they were pressing with numbers. They were pressing with a commitment. They, that's what Leeds did last season. They had that, that bounce in their step. Hey, something's going to be going in our favor because we're creating these opportunities to make it happen due to our, our tough pressing or it's our, our, our purposeful running or whatever it is. And they've gotten away from that a little bit. And that's what happens when you're a team that lacks confidence. Whereas Arsenal, just to use them as a contrast in that particular game, they had that. And, mm. and they created their own luck. The balls fell their way. How, do, how does that happen? It's just because you put yourself in a position to make that happen. You, you are, you're committing more numbers in, in good areas to, to make good things happen and go your way. And I think there's that belief that, that Arsenal have. And I thought it was a really spirited performance from them. Continuing to look good in the post Yang uh, era, which I think we're not going to see Yang maybe ever in an Arsenal kit. By the way, come to Newcastle if you want. We, we'll take you. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I'll take I'll take all the disgruntled players out there. Joao <laughs> Felix, Yang, Lingard, Coutinho. Just throw well, that out the there money. for Arsenal. You they have, have the money. money. They have the money, even though we need defenders because, yeah. you know, we have some decent attacking push. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a sidebar. With regard to Leeds, I think they're in trouble, but they have to figure out a way to – Get that one result that gets them clicking again and starts giving them some belief. And Patrick Bamford, obviously him not being available for most of the season, hurts them because he was really a talisman. He was the one that was scoring that timely goal. And they're just not getting that consistently, and it's really hurting them this season. Yeah, the only thing I would say about Leeds is that they're actually in a decent position. Like Even if they continued at the success that they had right now or the failures that they're having right now, they're still in a position to do the same thing for the rest of the year and finish just you know five, six points above the drop. Uh, you know, they're already at 16 points after eight, eight, what is it, 16 games, maybe? Uh, They've conceded 16 goals in December as well. Which yeah, is, so they're 18 games. Yeah. So uh, a little bit less than halfway through the season. And they're, they're on 16 points. And I think last year, if I remember correctly, it was high 20s. That, that was the drop point. 28 points from Fulham uh, in the last season. And then Burnley next on 39 points. So they do have a ways to go to be purely safe. And you can't always predict what that bottom three is going to going to end up with but I I think that it's just a survival season for them I think the narrative changes into being a little bit more of a scrappy scrappy thing but Jimmy knows what the thing that we loved about Leeds is the thing that that you makes you wonder what the foundation that they're built on is right this Mm -hmm. being up for it this fight this mentality they created their own luck last year they were just wide open and just creating chances that when those things don't fall it's it's a game of it's a marginal 
differences that, that change you from being this team that's playing wide open to this team that's playing too wide open and is now getting beat by teams because they can't finish their chances. Yeah, 16 goals conceded in December is a worry uh, for sure. All right, well, call to action, everybody. Which three teams are going down, do you think? So uh, put them down in the comments section. I mean, always a fun, well, unless you're a fan of those uh, clubs, sorry, Jim, uh, to, to go through, but find out who is going down. All right, this is it. Final thoughts, everybody. There's so much that we haven't discussed, and this is the moment in the show before we say goodbye where Jimmy and Heath and yours truly just give you a final thought, uh, an honorable mention perhaps, a word, word, a shout out, or maybe a, a cursing to somebody that we really wish uh you know we wanted to mention so Heath, you first final thought oh i thought you were gonna go to jimmy he's gonna bite his shoulder again as the closing of his thoughts but no i mean obviously i'm out here in the middle east at the time and uh algeria winning the arab cup i mean it's an incredible experience to see sort of you know used to have the confederations cup which would be sort of the tee up the one year out from the world cup that builds the excitement that tests the the stadiums the the capabilities to see how far out they are from being uh, tournament ready. So to see all the teams play in that, obviously Algeria, Tunisia, Qatar, um, in the end there, um, was just a really exciting time of, of, of the things to come. And as well as, by the way, if you haven't watched some of these, these North African teams or some of the Arab teams football, they play a beautiful style of play. Obviously mm. people got to see Qatar play uh, in the gold cup and the style of play that they played under Xavi at Al Saad, but overall just an exciting time out here. And it, and it feels good, by the way, if you ever end up at this region of the world, to watch games from 12 midnight to 2 a.m. Uh, is, when league, is when league play goes on. So oh uh, the, 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 these ones were in the region, so you got to watch them at 7 p.m. around dinner time, like a normal human being. Uh, uh, but all the other ones that are west of here, you have to watch them in the middle of the night. So congrats to Algeria. Obviously, uh, the goalkeeper playing at Philadelphia Union for a short time, and, and obviously the goalkeeper that gave up a mistake against uh, the U.S. when Landon Donovan finished it off, that allowed the U.S. to go on to the the, the knockout. What a guy! That's a, I'm on a side. I'm on a little bit We're of a side, side mission right now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it for me. Okay, well, I'll keep that U.S. men's national team theme going. That's a little uh, through through line to that. Uh, Jordan Pifo had a hat trick for young boys. I think that's a big deal. Uh, obviously, the U.S. men's national team got a big win uh, against Bosnia. You got to make sure you watch our listen to our full recap on that. That is obviously. Uh, something of note, Cameron Carter Vickers got a win for Celtic over Hibs 2-1 in the Scottish Cup final. Kyogo, their signing, scored two goals in the second half to come from behind. And Cameron Carter Vickers gets his uh, big trophy there. And then finally, RB Leipzig lost at home to Armenia Bielefeld. Yes, that powerhouse in the Bundesliga. Bring Jesse back. Bring Jesse back. (laughs) I just want everybody to know that maybe Jesse Marsh wasn't the problem. Now, he wasn't clearly solving those problems, but I don't necessarily think that he was the problem. So take a look, long, hard look at yourself, RB Leipzig, before you start casting stones at our American managers. Yeah, RB Leipzig. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I do want to point out that Jordan Pifak had four goals, which Sorry, is four, four, four. Hat trick plus one. Plus one. Uh, Amazing. Amazing. Well done, Pifak. Well, I'm just going to give it up to Robert Lewandowski for breaking Gerd Muller's 49 year old goal scoring record with 43 goals in the Bundesliga in 20. This guy's got screwed. This guy got screwed, dude. He's got absolutely screwed. This is so stupid that we have to it's talk about this all the time. The Polish, La, the Polish La Padula. That's who he is. <laughs> all right. Well, Jimmy Conrad, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you, everybody. Heath Pierce, thank you so much. Make sure you get some rest. No, thanks for having me. No, thank you, boys. Follow Jimmy Conrad on Twitter, Instagram, as well as Heath Pierce on Twitter and Instagram. And we're obviously 
always on CBS Sports Golasso pod on Twitter. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube.com forward slash Golasso. We have so much more to come this week. Some holiday specials as well. USMNT hour specials. Some more goodness with Fabrizio Romano and much, much more. Have a great, great rest of your evening. Watch King Richard. Man, what a movie. I watched it last night. Loved it. Will Smith yeah. going to win an Oscar. I love it. Uh, I love it. I love it. But anyway, have a great, great evening and have a great beginning to your week. We'll see you next time. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.